at least encourage everybody to begin in Matthew chapter 16 uh, with me in your Bibles. Once you have found that, if you're able to do so, would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Everyone, please stand. And we're going to read the verses responsibly, meaning we'll read every other verse together. So I'll read a verse, and then as a church body, we'll read the next verse together, and we'll follow in on that pattern from verse 15 down through verse 20. I'll begin in 15. We'll begin together in verse 16. Matthew chapter 16. And verse number 15, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus here, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Together, verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. The title of my sermon this morning is just simply this, The Value of a Church Family. The value of a church family. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for uh, all that's happened in this place this morning. Thank you for the many guests that have chosen to visit with us today. And Lord, we do pray that their experience would be a positive one. But Lord, if we leave here just simply feeling good, but Lord, not spiritually challenged, uh, then Lord, it will have been a good experience, but not what you had in mind. Help us, Lord, to leave here with our hearts in tune with the Bible. Help us to leave here with a clear understanding of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As we have sung the songs this morning, saved, saved, saved by uh, His mercy divine, and all of the songs we've sung have pointed out that word salvation. May everyone here have a clear understanding of what that means and what it is. Be with the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, with this being friend day and all, I thought maybe... I'd try my hand at some friend humor, all right? Does everyone know what a courtesy laugh is? Does everyone know how to give a courtesy laugh, all right? I'm going to do my best to tell a good joke, but if it is not a good joke, I need you to laugh anyway, all right? Can you do that? You guys are on board. All right, here we go. Okay, so a duck had a $100 bet with his friend that he could touch the tip of his beak with the end of his foot. Certain that ducks aren't built to be able to do such a thing, he decided to take his friend uh, up on the bet. So the duck made several attempts. He's rolling around on the ground. He's flapping around. Uh, He's making a fool of himself. And the duck just fails miserably at the bet. He is not able to take his uh, foot and touch the end of his beak. So um, uh, he, he gives his friend a sideways glance and he admits that he just can't, he, he, he can't do it and he can't pay up. He doesn't have the money, he can't pay up. So his friend, understandably disappointed, but unscripted says, that's okay, I just hope you didn't hurt yourself in the process. So what's the moral of the joke, you ask? All right, here's the moral of the, of the joke, okay? Um, never take a bet with a friend uh, let's see here. I've got to make sure I get the punchline down here. I see you're getting ready to laugh. I appreciate that. Um, only take a bet with a friend that can foot the bill. All right. 
Okay. That was a complicated joke. All right. My teenagers are great at over-exaggerating their courtesy laugh. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm thankful for the friends that God has given me. Uh, We live in a world filled with shallow friendships. Can I just say this morning, Facebook friends cannot replace real life friends. Amen? It's amazing to me that as our world has become more digital, mental health has become a greater part of our everyday vocabulary. What we all really need is to be a good friend and to have good friends. Those solid relationships help guide us through life's most challenging moments. Uh, I have been blessed to grow up in church my entire life. Uh, Quickly here, my father, Tim, when he was 14 years old, um, he he walked into a a church for the first time in 1975. My dad's dad, my grandfather, committed suicide when my father was only 8 years old. And uh, my, my grandmother, who I loved dearly until her death, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, she was a broken woman, in and out of all kinds of relationships and made a lot of bad life choices and ended up with a, a boyfriend who moved in and was living with them in 1975. Uh, my, my grandmother and um, uh, her boyfriend had a violent fight one Saturday afternoon, or Saturday morning rather, and um, my, my dad, 14 years old, was watching cartoons on the couch and he, put, he slipped his shoes on and out the door, uh, my grandmother and my dad uh, ran. And they got in the, the car there and they're backing out of the driveway. And her boyfriend came out and grabbed one of those glass uh, cigarette holders that looked like a hockey puck. And he threw it. He whipped it as fast as he could. And it hit the windshield and it just shattered into a million pieces. And uh, the, 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 the trauma that my 14-year-old father felt that day, the violent fighting and all the back and forth culminating in that. They ended up at the police department in restraining order and had the boyfriend removed. And by the time the day ended, they had located another apartment. They had moved into that apartment. My dad had three older brothers who weren't home at the time. And and all four of them were, five of them were getting settled into a new place. Well, right across the street uh, from where they had moved in, it was more of an industrial park area there in the Baton Rouge Louisiana area, there was a health club. And my dad asked about the health club. He asked his mom, he said, could I join the health club? And my grandmother, feeling guilty about what my dad had seen that day, feeling guilty over it, said, go on over and, and tomorrow and see if you can join the health club. So he goes across the street the next day, and lo and behold, the health club is closed, but a church, Calvary Heights Baptist Church, was renting out the health club to have church services that day. And so um, my dad had no interest in church, so there were some outdoor basketball courts, and so he goes out and he starts shooting basketball. And one of the men in the church who was a deacon came out and began to talk to my dad and uh, asked my dad, he said, do you know where you would go if you died? Do you know where you would spend eternity, in heaven or in hell? And my dad stopped. He would never been asked that before. He stopped and said, well, I really, I really don't know. With a basketball under his arm, that deacon stood there and showed him how he could know for sure that he was going to go to heaven when he died from the Bible, from the Bible. How we could be certain that when he died, he would go to heaven. And my dad that day put his faith and trust in Christ. He came back that evening and went to church. And 
um, uh, became a very faithful attender of that church and then decided to pay his own way through a private Christian school where he would graduate. And uh, he was in church three times a week. And then upon graduate, graduating from high school, his mom and brothers wanted nothing to do with it. He put himself through a, a Baptist Bible college so he could study for church ministry. And there is where he met my mom. So my dad's from Louisiana. My mother's from Michigan. Only college can bring a relationship like that together pre-internet. Now the internet can bring people together from all over the world. But uh, pre-internet, only a college could bring a couple like that together uh, per se. And, and, and they married, and my mom and dad were fervently on fire for God and for church. I'm the oldest of seven children. And uh, all seven of us were in church every chance we could. Uh, Mom and dad raised me in church. I'm almost 40 years old. I've been going to church for 40 years. And I must say that church has been really, 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 really good to me. I am nervous about the direction that our country is headed morally and spiritually. And those two things are interconnected. The spiritual direction of of the country leads the moral direction of the country. Watch this now. As we become spiritually sick, we become morally sick. And I'm nervous about where we're heading. God and Christianity are no longer, watch this now, who we are. Rather, it's just something that we casually do. Some do Christianity on Sunday mornings, but they set it aside the rest of the week and then pick up the I am a Christian hat on Sunday morning as they're running out the door to go to church. Others do Christianity only when it is convenient for them. They bump into a religious zealot at work or at a family reunion. They know how to turn on the Christian talk, but deep down inside they know their Christian faith is is very shallow. Others do Christianity only when they get into a tough spot they, they, they themselves can't wiggle out of. They turn to God in an emergency and and sincerely plead for help. But once the trial is over, they forget about God, they forget about His church, and they forget about the Bible because now times are good again. Others do Christianity only out of obligation. Christmas and Easter. When When my mom and dad or my spouse... Or a sense of, this is how I was raised, so I'll feel guilty if I don't, kicks in, then I go to church. Christianity in our Western culture has become something that we do and ceases to be a description of who we really are as a people. Let's talk about, for a moment here, the title of the sermon is The Value of a Church Family. Let's talk about that word value. Value. Um. We call our Sunday morning services here, we call them our worship services. That word worship comes from the concept of worth-ship. Worth-ship. Something that is worthy, valuable. If something or someone is to be worshipped, then they must have great value to you, or your worship, to be frank, is just shallow. Your worship's shallow. A lot of people will... Go to a hand-raising church, and I raise my hand when I worship the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same. I think that if it's done carefully and appropriately, it's a great thing. A lot of people go to a hand-raising church, and they raise their hand on Sunday to worship the Lord, then they walk out the door, and they live like the devil Monday through Friday. Are we really raising holy hands, or are we just raising hands? You see, if you don't really value God in His book, you can't truly worship 
the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever heard of this church? Every city has a church by this name. All right? I want you to, I want you to stop and think a minute if you've ever heard of this church. The name of it is the Greener Grass Baptist Church. How many ever heard of the Greener Grass Baptist Church? Every city's got one. The Greener Grass, maybe you're Catholic. The Greener Grass Catholic Church, okay? Um, Pick your denomination of choice. The Greener Grass Baptist Church. Every city's got one. But this church has no members. Because as soon as you go join this church, it ceases to be perfect. What happens when you go over to the Greener Grass Baptist Church? You find out that their grass is greener because of the manure put down to make it green. (laughs) Yep, that church has problems too. A lot of people go, um, a lot of people give up on church. Watch this. Most common thing I've heard in my 40 years of going to church I'd go to church if it weren't for all those hypocrites. Some of you came in today and you thought, I don't know. I'm doing you a solid by coming to church on friend day, but you owe me one. You owe me one. Alright? I'll go, but only out of a sense of obligation for you. And maybe you're one of those people that think, yeah, no, I'm done with church. It's full of hypocrites. And for a moment, I just want to challenge your thinking. Alright? Give me your attention here. Um, I've heard my whole life, I'd go to church, but those religious people are all a bunch of phonies. Well, thank you for painting all of us with a broad brush. We deeply appreciate it. Don't you like being painted with a broad brush? Let me ask you a question. Are there hypocrites at your job? How many can think of at least one hypocrite that you work with? If you work with me, please don't raise your hand. Amen? (laughs) All right. But seriously, how many can think of at least one hypocrite that you work with? Do you still go to work? Some of you should have raised your hand and didn't. Because you, you know where I'm going and you're ahead of me and you don't want to fall for the trap. Okay? Are there hypocrites at your work? Yes. Are there hypocrites at Walmart? Yes. Are there hypocrites at the grocery store? Yes. But you go, don't you? Why? Why is it that you can go to work with hypocrites, but you can't go to church with hypocrites? Now watch this. You go to work where there are hypocrites because you need money. Here's what I want to say to you. The reason why people don't go to church because of hypocrites is because they don't think they need what the church has for them. But what God gave us in the church is meant for our spiritual health and well-being. Many years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, What to Do When Leadership Lets You Down. In that sermon, it has all the war stories Of all the times I've been hurt at church. And there's some doozies in there. I've been really hurt by some very horrible people at church. But I I have to say, after attending church for four decades of life, right at four decades of life, church has been far better for me than it has hurt me. And church will be far better for you if you'll make the commitment to commit to going to church faithfully. It will look after your spiritual well-being. My proposition this morning is that Jesus is the author of the church. He created it. He paid for it with His very blood. 
He wants you to be a part of it. And if you will buy in all the way, then you will find your life to be filled with joy and completion. All right. You should have received a bulletin on your way in the door this morning. On the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. We encourage you to use the pen uh, that you were given in your visitor packet there or, or use your own pen and fill in the blanks as we go. All right. Let's look at four purposes God had in mind when he founded the church some 2,000 years ago. Letter A, a church should be a place of community. A church, or number one rather, a church should be a place of community. Take your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Or, again, the verses will be on the screen if you're not sure where that is, all right? Letter A, a community that shares a commonality. A community that shares a commonality. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and verse 13 says this, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ, for by one Spirit, notice the commonality, one body, one Spirit in Christ, uh, one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether by Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit, one body in Christ. One spirit, uh, there is a commonality in Christ. You see, one of the reasons why I enjoy going to church is that it is filled with people who may not be perfect, but boy, they're trying to do right. And they're trying to live by the Word of God. And we share a commonality in the fact that we all love Jesus together. And we share a commonality in the fact that we want to live our lives morally in line with the Word of God. Oh, we struggle. Oh, we fall. Oh, we mess up. But my friend, we share a commonality together in Christ. We are one body. We we are led by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we share a commonality in Christ. A church should be a place of community, a community that shares a commonality. Let her be notice a community that feels a sense of completion. A community that feels a sense of completion. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me again. Look at verse 14. And let's read down through verse 22. The Bible says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not... The hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now that God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? Uh, but now are they many members, yet but one body. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, uh, much more of those members of the body, uh, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. They are necessary. Now, uh, here we're being given an analogy or a metaphor, and that is of a human body. And a church is much like a human body, right? Uh, not everyone can do the same thing. Not everyone can be uh, uh, the same thing. Some parts of the body are more 
public and other parts of the body are more uh, private. Uh, some parts of the body are exterior, like our skin. Other parts of the body are hidden uh, from view. And maybe like your stomach or your liver or your esophagus. Uh, you have eyeballs that see. You have a nose that smells. You have ears that hear. You have uh, uh, fingers and feet and a skin that feels. And uh, you have uh, you, you have uh, uh, feet that take you places. And you have, uh, let's see here, you have joints that can ache, right? Especially as you get older. And so uh, you, we all are made up of a body. And a church is the same way. While we all share the same commonality, the same desire to grow in the Lord, God has gifted each person in a church with a different set of abilities so that the mission of the church can move forward and the morality of our country uh, can, can grow and be made better. You see, one body part is not more important than the other. Watch this now. Stronger does not mean more superior. More public does not mean superior. Uh, we must quit worrying about how important our role is within the body and understand that our role, no matter what it is, is important. And here's what I would tell you this morning. Most churches that I have seen and been a part of are dysfunctional. Are dysfunctional. Um, the body has all kinds of systems that work together in, in uh, harmony and unity in order to function. And uh, those systems need to work together. Otherwise, you end up at a doctor's office and they're diagnosing you with some syndrome or some disease or some disorder. And my friend, a lot of churches in our country, local churches, they are, uh, they are sick. They have uh, some syndrome or disease or disorder because they are jealous that they're not a part of uh, doing another part within the church. Imagine living for a week without any hands or feet. What would that be like? You lost your hands and your feet. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? Not being able to hold anything in your hands or walk anywhere. You'd be very limited in what you could do. Imagine trying to live life without a week without a spleen or a liver. You wouldn't be able to do it. You'd die. Many people become discontent because they do not have a more prominent role within the church, so they leave. Now, I'm, I have been many different parts of the church body Throughout my life, I am no more or less complete as a Christian being the pastor. Let, let me illustrate this for you. Well, listen intently here, okay? As a boy, as a little boy, a seven, eight, nine year old boy, my role was to attend junior church and be an encouragement to those children around me. Each week I did this, I felt complete in Christ. And then as a preteen, I served as a helper on a Sunday school bus. Each week I did this, I felt that I had, uh, hel- I had helped to complete the body of Christ. And the body of Christ had helped to complete me. And then as a teenager, I was made a bus captain over a Sunday school bus. I would go out into a neighborhood and I would invite boys and girls and teenagers and men and women who didn't have a right to church. And Sunday we'd climb on board a church bus and we'd head out into the neighborhood and we'd pick up the people that we'd invited. We'd bring them into church. And I was responsible for getting those kids in the building and then getting them home uh, to their home. Home. And as a, as a teenager, I served as the bus captain of that Sunday school bus. Each week I did this, I felt completed, and I felt as though I was completing the body of Christ. Then as a newlywed, I helped in a church's Spanish department, and I didn't speak much Spanish at the time, but God used that ministry to grow my ability to love people with, uh, with the Spanish language. Again, I was being completed, and I was completing the body of Christ. A couple of years later, I was hired to be an assistant pastor 
where I would wear multiple hats and be the leader of many of the church's ministries. My role became more prominent, but all the same, I was completing the church and being completed by the church. And then six and a half years ago, I was asked to be the pastor of White Oak, the lead pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, right here, this church. Uh, More responsibility, different position, but yet I am working to do my part to complete the body of Christ and allow the body of Christ to completely. Now watch this. Watch this. My role as a child in junior church was just as important as my role as senior pastor. Just as important. You say, oh, well, you were just a little kid in junior church. God called me at that time in my life to be an encouragement to the kids around me and to encourage them to come back to church and make sure they had a great time. And that was my role, so it was just as important then as my role is today. When you serve the Lord within a local church, there is a something deep down inside your heart where you feel complete. We live in a culture and a society that is drunk on dopamine. We have our social media accounts and we gather dopamine hits each time we post something and get likes and shares and comments and uh, post a picture on Instagram and, and it goes viral. That's the ultimate goal to go viral. Dopamine hit after dopamine hit. But, God, but guess what? God did not just make you to be drunk on your selfishness. He, he made you to reach out to others and be selfless and be giving. And what does the church offer? It offers you a chance to go serve somebody else and be completed in Christ. A community that feels a sense of completion, let her see, notice, a community that shows concern. A community that shows concern. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 25. Look at verse 25 with me. The Bible says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are part of the body of Christ, and members in particular. Hey, there's no, there's no room for envy and jealousy at church. It's just not. Someone does well. They're promoted within the church. Uh, maybe someone's made a deacon or someone's asked to teach a life group or someone's asked to uh, serve in a prominent role and they go, their role goes from more private to public. Hey, you shouldn't be jealous of them. You should applaud that and say, praise the Lord that they're being used. Now, what would it look like if I just walked around Target and I just kept punching myself in the face? You'd say, man, something's wrong with that guy. Right? He's bruised all over the place. He, I mean, he's wailing on himself. A lot of churches are too busy wailing on themselves, right? This member is hitting this, this part of the body, and this part of the body is hitting this part of the body. And, and listen, that, there's no room for that at church. There's no room for jealousy. It, it thrills my heart here when I hear of a church member who's had a surgery, gone through some uh, time of sickness, maybe discouragement. It thrills my heart to hear that one church member over here is reaching out and helping them and and someone's cooking a meal to take to someone who just had a baby or someone who just had a surgery. And, and, and someone else is reaching out and saying, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? Are you doing all right? I just want to make sure you're loved and you're looked after and you're taken care of. Why? Because community is a, a, pla- a church is a place where we're able to show concern one for the other. And praise the Lord uh, for that uh, church uh, being that place of community. Church is to be a place of community. Number two, notice, church is to be a place of compassion. A place of compassion. If you're using your Bible this morning, turn over to the book of Jude. Jude is right before the book of Revelation and only has one chapter to it. So Jude, the book of Jude, and we're going to look at a handful of verses in that book. 
A place of compassion. Hey, I don't know about you, but this world is broken, is it not? This world is filled with pain and hurt and sorrow. The Bible says lust brings sin. James 1, lust brings sin and sin brings death. And I look around me and I see death, but I see a culture of death. I see depression. I see sadness. I see despair. Suicide rates, especially amongst teenagers, are at an all-time high in our country. People who have all sorts of mental disorders. People who want to just crawl in bed, pull the covers up over their head and pretend that the world doesn't exist. People who are coping with life, life's hurts by masking their pain with some sort of opioid. We've got an opioid pandemic in this country. People who are popping pills because of the pain and hurt they carry in their heart. People who live at the bar because they just would rather drown their sorrows, not realizing that sorrows know how to swim, don't they? Live in a world that's filled with hurt. And people are turning to many, many people are turning to the wrong places to get that help. Church is to be a place to help us cope with our hardships. You ought to be able to find a church and feel like you can go there and you, you are licking your wounds when you walked into church on a sunny morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, and when you walk out, boy, there's a little bit of a smile on your face and in your heart. You walk out feeling a sense of hope and encouragement. Boy, that's what church is supposed to be. A place where God's compassion is poured out. Turning The book of Jude, let me give you letter A here. Notice, a haven from the storm. Church is to be a place of compassion, a haven for the storm. Look at Jude verse number 20 with me. The Bible says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up yourselves. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look up at the screen here for me. First Thessalonians 4, look at verse 16. The Bible says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Read verse 18 with me. Ready? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We come to church and we, uh, we see a, a world that's spiraling up miserably out of control and wrong is called right and right is called wrong and, 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 and things have changed and we're not really sure where we stand and what to believe anymore. And the Bible says, get yourself to church and get there and understand that one day Jesus is coming back. One day He's going to take His own who have put their faith in Him up to heaven uh, to live with Him in something called the rapture, the catching away of the church. And He said, when things get tough and when you're discouraged and you're feeling embittered towards someone and you're having a hardship, He said, comfort one another with these words. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means you should be in church. Don't forsake. Be there. Look here. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Life is filled with hardships and we can, we can parallel those. Metaphorically, we can look at a storm. You ever just felt like, uh, you, you remember the, the, the cartoon, let's see, uh, Charlie Brown? Remember the cartoon Charlie Brown? 
And uh, he, he sometimes he's walking around. Is it Lydus has got the storm cloud over the top of his head? And every who is that? Which character was that? Someone knows. Eeyore's got the storm cloud. There it is. I've got the wrong cartoon. I've got to change the channel. Change the channel. Get off Charlie Brown over to Winnie the Pooh, right? So Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore's got the storm cloud over his head. There we go. Thank you. I'm glad I got you, Melba. You're helping me out over here, okay? Uh, got the storm cloud over the head. And you, you walk up to Eeyore and you say, Hey, Eeyore, have a good day. And he looks at you and he says, I don't know, Pooh. What's so good about it? You ever felt that way in life? Right? Someone asks you how you're doing, you're like, you don't really want to know. Right? Okay? You just don't ask. Right? And uh, you're going through life and you've got these storms. Life's coming down hard on you. Maybe you're going through divorce. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you were diagnosed with terminal illness or have a loved one that was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Maybe you're not getting along with people in your life who you know you probably ought to be getting along with. And you're trying to walk through this alone. And and, and you go to bed at night and your heart is filled with grief. And you may put on a front smile, but deep down inside, you know things aren't right. You say church is a place you can go week in and week out. And it is a haven from the storms of life. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus Himself said in Matthew in chapter 5, He said, the rain falleth on the just and on the unjust. When the rain falls, we need church to be that haven from the storm. A church is to be a place of compassion, let her be noticed, a hospital for the sick. A hospital for the sick. Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look for the, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You may look around our auditorium and think, I've never been in an auditorium like this one. This is different. I don't see any you know, stained glass windows and, and uh, all of the ornate gold and statues and you know, all the caricatures and all that. Pastor, what? This isn't, uh, we call this an auditorium, by the way, because like a, like a school with an auditorium, this is a gathering place. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. If you believe in Jesus, He has moved inside of you. So, uh, listen, uh, part of the reason why we don't have all of that is we don't want a museum feel at our church. You all know the difference between a museum and a hospital? Okay? Someone's bleeding out, you don't take them to a museum. be a bad idea, right? Now, if they die that way, maybe you can turn them into an exhibit, right? That's some dark humor. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, right? Uh, you can turn them into an exhibit, maybe, but, uh, but, but you don't take someone who's bleeding out to a museum. You take them to a hospital, right? How many of you here have ever been in a point in your life, maybe you're there right now, but ever been in a point in life where spiritually you felt like you are bleeding out a little bit? Right? That's what church is to be. It's to be a place you come and you get help. Now, uh, listen, uh, we don't want people to come to White Oak Baptist Church and show off how spiritual they are and look at the way that guy carries his Bible and look at the way uh, uh, she dresses. Boy, they got it all figured out. No, listen, this is to be the emergency room where people come and the healing balm of the Word of God is held high and preached and God's Word reaches down and it touches your heart and it helps you to heal from life's hurts. Churches are oftentimes filled with Pharisees who act like they have it all together. I'm the pastor of this church, and thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you right now, as the chief, uh, uh, as the chief uh, here at, uh, of all the Indians, if you will, as the, as the lead pastor of the church, I don't have it all together. 
I've got sin struggles I battle with. There are things in my life that aren't right. And I can tell you from being pastor and counseling and observing that even the most elite members of our church, they struggle with hardships. And we are no museum at White Oak Baptist Church. We're a hospital. And you come here and the Word of God is given forth. Sometimes, sometimes the medicine is meant to help you over sickness. Other times, the medicine is meant to prevent a sickness. What's the old adage? A what a day keeps the doctor away. And an apple a day, right? And so you need church every week to help keep the devil away. Amen? And so get in church and let the church be a hospital for your sick soul. Letter C, we're seeing how church is to be a place of compassion. It's a haven from the storm. It's a hospital for the sick. Letter C, notice it's a hub for the servant. It's a hub for the servant. Look back at Jude, at verse number 22, down through 25. The Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. Notice there that you come to church and you show compassion to others. You will make a difference. 23, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm thankful that church is a place where I can come and use the spiritual gifts God has given me and allow and work shoulder to shoulder with others. God's given them spiritual gifts and we're able to get in there and we're able to make a difference in the community. Boy, you should see White Oak Baptist Church on a Saturday morning. Saturday morning at 9.30. We have somewhere between 30 and 50 people who show up here on this property. And you know what they're doing? They're busy looking after others in the community who need compassion and need care. This church is a hub for people to serve. Uh, all week long, we've had people who've been putting lessons together to get up and teach the Bible in a way that will help people's lives heal and get better. All week long, uh, text messages have been getting sent and people have been getting checked up on and, and prayed for and, 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 and folks have been gathering here to go into Bridgeport and visit families who otherwise wouldn't have a right to church and then get up early this morning and get on board a church bus and head into Bridgeport and bring boys and girls and men and women and get them here to church and White Oak Baptist Church gives folks who want to serve God an avenue to do so. White Oak Baptist Church gives people who want to show others compassion an avenue to do so. It is a hub for the servant. Church is to be a place of community. It is to be a place of compassion. Notice number three. Church is to be a place of correction. A place of correction. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy 4. And again, the verses will be on the screen if you don't know where that is. 2 Timothy 4 in your Bibles. We all like community and we all like compassion. None of us like to be corrected. Alright? That's not fun. Someone calling you in and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, you need to stop. Alright? You know, I know adults don't like to be corrected. But I'm going to tell you a group of people that love to be corrected. You know who that is? Teenagers. Yeah, teenagers love to be corrected, don't you? They're all looking at me like, Pastor, shut up. What are you? Th-? They're all sitting down here on the front. What are you talking? We hate being corrected, all right? No one likes to be corrected, okay? Babies don't like to be corrected. Uh, if you have babies, we have the McGuire's over here. They got little Danielle, and I got a mom over here with a couple babies. And many of you here have had babies and raised them. I don't care how little they are; they don't like to be corrected. We just don't like it. We don't like someone telling us we're wrong. Can I just tell you something right now? Sometimes we need someone to tell us when we're wrong. You believe that this morning? 
Sometimes we need someone to say, hey, this is hurting you and you need to stop. Hey, you're doing this and it's hurting others and you need to stop. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Letter A, we see it should correct our perspective. It should correct our perspective. Look at verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Notice that judge. Judge the quick and the dead at his appearing of his uh, kingdom. Paul, the apostle, tells Timothy, who's a pastor, he says in verse 2, preach the word. Preach it. Don't just teach it. Don't give a TED talk. Preach. That means stand up and, 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 and as a hairy-legged man, open up the Bible and preach. Amen? We have a bunch of people, we have a bunch of churches across this country, they don't have pulpits. You know why they don't have pulpits? Because they don't preach. they got bar stools they sit on and they talk to the church. Hey, go out this week and just love Jesus and feel loved by Jesus. All right? Here's a little ten-minute ditty and then we're going to sing the rest of the time. You might have gathered we don't do that at White Oak Baptist Church. Amen? We have a pulpit in 2 Timothy 4.2 says the pastor is to preach. Preach the Word. That doesn't mean preach, it, preach your opinion. Preach the Word. Look here. Be instant, in season, out of season. Paul tells Timothy, look here. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come. Look at verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves. Teachers. Not preachers. Teachers. Having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. I'm going to speak plainly right here. The largest churches in America have pastors that will not preach the whole Bible. Won't do it. Largest churches in the Western world, Western culture, are filled with pastors who get up and just give a motivational life speech. And you know what that is? That's me wanting to go somewhere. That's someone wanting to go somewhere who will have their ears itched. I've got a dog at home named Ginger. She's the sweetest little thing. About to be three years old next month. And she's just a ball of energy. Bounces off everything. Just boing, boing, boing. Jumps all over the place. The opposite of Eeyore, Miss Melba. Just all over the place. You know what Ginger especially loves? When I get my fingers in behind those ears and I scratch. And there are people who want to go to church where the pastor will just get up in those ears and make them feel good. Right? Oh, you're not that bad. You're a good person. Good boy. Good girl. Oh, you sweet thing. And they, they get up and their tails are wagging and they go out about another week living in sin and debauchery and lasciviousness and unrighteousness. They would never, never dare step foot in a church where a pastor would say, you're doing this and it's wrong and it needs to stop. The Bible says about a wise man in Proverbs that a wise man, listen now, he loves rebuke. He loves it. He wants someone to stand toe-to-toe to him and say, this is hurting you. The Bible says about a fool that he hates rebuke. And I would ask you this morning, do you want a church with a pastor who's just going to tell you what you want to hear and let you go on and live a life uh, that's going to lead you into destruction? Or do you want a pastor who's going to say, thus saith the Lord... We need someone to offer us a fresh perspective. We need someone to take the Bible and preach the whole counsel. Letter B, it shall correct, it should correct our practices. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. The Bible says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof 
of the ministry. He says, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. Paul says this about his own life. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Paul said, I've given it my all. And Paul was the one who went around founding churches all over the place. He said, church is a place for me to practice how to live right. And I have to say this morning that uh, we need to be corrected sometimes in order to do right. I um, heard a story about a pastor who went over, to, uh, it, it went over to a church member's house. And this church member had two dogs. And um, they just worshipped those two dogs. They're bloodhounds. And um, the pastor came in to have dinner and sat down. And the plate that was put in front of him there at the table was just dirty. I mean, it was dirty. And uh, it looked like food had been smeared around and... And, uh, you know, there was like a, a layer of, of water that had been on it, but it just, you know, he couldn't eat off this plate. And so he speaks up and politely says to the, the wife, he says, uh, Ma'am, I just don't, I don't feel that I can eat off this plate. Do, do you have a plate that's clean? So I, I'm so sorry if I'm being rude, but do you have a... a and she says, Sir, that, that plate's as clean as, as, as soap and water will get it. And he says, Well, ma'am, I don't mean to offend you, but can you get me a different plate? And she says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll wash it up one more time for you. She says, here boy, here girl, come soap, come water. You guys are great at the courtesy laugh today. I just got to say thank you. All right? Are we being washed with the water of God's Word or are we being washed by our own good works? We're going forth with a life that we think is clean. But the Word of God is not really making a difference in our lives. Oftentimes, because we have a watered-down idea of what the Bible even says. Church is to be a place of correction. Church is to be a place of compassion. Church is to be a place of community. Number four, lastly, church is to be a place of Christianity. Christianity. We've all heard the word Christian. Okay? You're here today and you've never heard the word Christian, I'd be shocked. You can't live in the U.S. of A. and have not even heard the word Christian. But let me ask you something. What does that word even mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? We're done with the outline, but we're far from done with the message. We've got about five to ten minutes left. I really, really want you to listen. I just want to say this, okay? If you're visiting today, this point I'm getting ready to cover is the reason why we invited you here. So don't check out on me. We invited you here to hear what I'm about to say. And if you already know it, then it will wash over you and refresh your soul. If you don't know this, this could be the difference between you spending eternity in heaven or hell. Please, 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 with everything inside of you, listen to what I'm about to say. A Christian is someone who is being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Christian, being made in the image of Christ. Let me illustrate. If you were to go to a country music concert, how would people be dressed? Right? Big hats, cowboy boots, big belt buckles, and what would they be wearing? 
blue jeans. Right? That's how you dress when you go to. That's how people dress when they go to a country music concert. How do people dress when they go to a hip hop concert? Big baggy clothes. Right? Gold chains. Okay? Uh, there's a look. You with me? They have conformed to an image. They have conformed to a culture. Alright? I'm not picking on country music or hip-hop this morning. I'm trying to make a point. To be a Christian, you are conforming into the image of Christ. Next Sunday is International Sunday here at White Oak Baptist Church. We're going to celebrate the diversity of countries represented in our church. We're asking our people to dress up in clothing that conforms to the culture of their heritage, their country. Now watch this. To be a Christian means that inwardly and outwardly you are being conformed to look, talk, and act like the Lord Jesus Christ. A good church is meant to help you in that process. But you must first give your heart to Christ. Ask Him to take away your sin of unbelief. And you must trust Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Watch this now. Jesus does not just want to be some self-help or life coach. He wants to be your Savior from your sins. uh, Jesus met with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious man. And uh, this man had religion, but he did not have salvation. Did you know that you can go to church your whole life and still go straight to hell? Did you know you can be baptized as a baby and still go straight to hell? Did you know that you can do your very best to keep good works and still end up straight in hell? Nicodemus was religious. He was so religious, he had risen to the top of his sect in the Pharisaical world. But Nicodemus was lost without Jesus, and Nicodemus was headed toward hell. Nicodemus met with Jesus, and he had some questions for him. John chapter 3, we find this conversation between Jesus and and Nicodemus, and down in verse 14, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him, speaking of Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. Now we've all seen the back of an ambulance, and what do you see? You've got the pole with the serpent wrapped around. How many of you have seen that before? Okay. Now what is that? That is a symbol of the Old Testament. Now, uh, really quick, really quick, the story is that Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness. They began to murmur and complain. God got sick of listening to them complain. All the parents in the room know what that's like. Got sick of listening to murmur and complain. So he sent fiery, poisonous serpents, snakes, into the camp, and they bit all the Israelites, and they're all poisoned, and they're all dying. And God says to Moses, He says, go take a brass pole and wrap a brass serpent around it and walk through the camp. And anyone who will look up at that uh, serpent on that pole by faith, I'm going to heal them. Everyone who's too stubborn to look up at it, they're going to die. Now this was, uh, this was done to be a picture of Christ. Listen up now. Sin has bitten all of us. The Bible says in Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. You say, I'm a good person. Oh, really? Can I challenge you on that for a minute? 
Each person commits at least three sins a day between a, a proud thought or a lie or uh, some deceptive uh, means or taking God's name in vain. Three sins a day. If, if we cut the year down to 333 days, that means you commit at least a thousand sins a year. That's a very conservative number. I'm 38 years old. I've already committed 38,000 sins against the Holy God in my life. You want to stand and tell me that you're better than that? Are we really going with the idea that we're getting into heaven because we're a good person? Because I don't think that's going to fly when we stand in front of a God who's committed zero sins. God does not want you to claim your good works. He wants you to understand that your sin has bitten you like the serpent in that story. And just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, Jesus Christ was lifted up on a cross, and all who by faith look at Him and believe that He died in their place for their sin, the Bible says that they shall be saved. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 says this, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, boy, those are some rough people, but look at this next one, and all liars, that's me, that's you, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, this is, which is the second Death, the second death. Back in John 3, we're told how to get out of this death or how to get out of perishing. Look at verse 15. Read it out loud with me here. John 3, 15 says that, read it with me, here we go. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that whosoever goes to church should not perish. Notice it doesn't say that whosoever lives a good life should not perish. Notice it doesn't say that whosoever believeth and lives a good life. No, no, no. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, well, pastor, don't my good works or my religion play into this any way whatsoever? And I'll let the Bible speak to that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Read the verses here with me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, verse 9, not of works. Can't be any more plain than that, can it? Not of works. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. If I showed up to your house and I offered you a gift and I said, here it is, but you owe me $20, you'd say, that's not a gift. Right? I'm going to spoil something for you this morning. You ready? That Dunkin' Donuts card that you got, that's technically not a gift. You had to do something to get it. You had to come to church this morning to get it. Right? The candy Miss Vara gave, those sitting in this section. She's bribing people for her potential future son-in-law to win here, right? You know, that candy wasn't a gift. You had to do something to earn it. You know, salvation is a gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Here's what you have to do. Watch this now. You have to open up your heart and receive it. That's it. That's it. You have to receive it. If I brought you a gift and I said, here it's yours. You've got two choices. Say it with me now. You can take it or leave it. No one's making you take God's gift of eternal life. But He already paid the price for it on the cross. He bought it with His love. And He says, open up your heart by faith and receive it. And believe and you shall be saved. Look at Romans 10.13. Read it with me. Ready? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I was just a four-year-old boy, I sat on the front row of a church, this side of the auditorium, right over here, 
And I prayed a very simple prayer. Here's what I prayed. Watch this now. I said, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell for my sin. I know you died on the cross in my place and rose from the dead. My faith is in you alone to take me to heaven. Give me the gift of eternal life. Something very special happened that day. The Lord Jesus healed me of the poison of my sin. He gave me the gift of eternal life. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a good person or because I go to church. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. And He wants you to open up your heart right now by faith and receive that gift. How do you do that? Look back at the verse. Notice who the invitation is for. It's for everybody. It's not just for a select few. It's for whosoever. That's everybody. In fact, the verse part of that says it's for Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. It does not matter what country you're from. It's for whosoever. That's you. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord. Now, how do you call upon the name of the Lord? Do you take out your cell phone and dial 1-800-HEAVEN? No. We know that we call on the name of the Lord by prayer. Why don't you right now bow your head and ask the Lord to give you that gift of eternal life? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. To be, become a believer, to become a child of God, you must believe with your heart. And there are three components that make up the spiritual heart. There's the mind. You have to make a mental choice that Christ is your way to heaven. There's the will. You have to will yourself to pray. And then there is the emotions. You have to choose Christ by your emotions that He is your only way to heaven. John was very clear when he wrote about the life of Jesus. He said, believe, believe, believe. Today I want to encourage you to take that entrance into Christianity. You see, you're not a Christian until you first believe in Jesus alone as your way to heaven. You turn from religion and good works and by faith you trust Christ. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, how many here today would, today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'll be honest, if I die today, I do not know where I would spend eternity. I'm just not sure. I don't know that I've ever really prayed and put my faith and trust in Christ. Pastor Lejeune, would you just pray for me? If that's you, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? I don't know. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I see one hand. Is there someone else? I see another. I see another. I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I've put my faith and trust in Christ. Is there someone else? Maybe you're holding out. I see yet another hand. Is there someone else? I've not put my faith and trust in Christ alone. I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. If you, if you raise your hand, and even if you didn't, but you would like to pray and ask Jesus to take your sin away, I'm going to lead you in a phrase-by-phrase prayer right where you are. My friend, that prayer, there's nothing magical about it. There's no magical set of words that's going to take your sin away. God's looking at your, what you say, but more importantly, He's looking at the faith behind what you say. He's asking you to call on Him and receive that gift with your whole heart. Just simply pray this prayer right where you are, under your breath, under your breath. Pray this prayer. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin is wrong. I know I deserve to die, and go to hell for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. My faith is in you and you alone. Save my soul. 
take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer with me right in your pew, I'd like to rejoice with you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would like to celebrate with you. Would you hold your hand up if you prayed that prayer? Just hold it up right where you are. I want to see and I want to rejoice with you. I see one hand. I see another. I see another hand, another hand, yet another, yet another, yet another. Hold them up if you pray that prayer. I see yet another hand. I pray that prayer. I meant it with my whole heart. I put my faith in Christ alone. Today you became a child of God. John 1 says that if you receive Him, you become a child of God by believing on His name. And today you believed on His name and He gave you the gift of eternal life. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I see through your message this morning the value of church. And I know that I need to get more involved in either this church or one much like it. Pastor Lejeune, here's my hand. Pray for me that I'll make church a bigger part of my life. Hold your hand up. I want to make church a bigger part of my life. Amen. Many hands. I sure hope you'll consider White Oak Baptist Church making us a part of your routine. Lord, today we pray that you would work in our hearts and lives through the invitation. Lord, help folks to come forward and make decisions for you. In Jesus' name.